Well, hi everyone. Welcome again. This is episode seven. I am Dan, your host, and I'm here again with my father, David. In this episode, we'll be looking at the life of Abraham, which is found in Genesis 11, verse 10, all the way through to 25, 11. Now, if you would like to come over and have a look at the show notes and grab the study for this episode, please head over to trainingforliferedeemed.com slash seven. In our reading of Genesis, we have reached the point where the three branches of Noah's family headed off in three directions from the Tower of Babel in what is now central Iraq. So Genesis 11 brings us down to the family line of Terah. Or is that how you say it? Terah. <laughs> uh, they seem to be a fairly big mess. They certainly are. <laughs> um, we've got to imagine this is an agricultural society. Um, we've discovered that people in an agricultural society have herds and flocks and then they have farmland. Um, herds and flocks can't hang around in paddocks. They're, they're not got paddocks, so they're moving around. And they've got herdsmen who are taking the, the cattle and the sheep and the camels and wandering looking for pasture wherever they can find it. And back home you've got a main community, sometimes a walled community. They turned into a city. Uh but these businesses are family businesses. So mum and dad move there. Their kids grow up on the farm, as it were. They end up with people who work for them. Uh, these are indentured workers. It's not exactly the same thing as we would call slavery, but they are uh, more like serfs or, or, or people who are bonded to that family. So they're setting up a farming business. The people who work for them live with them. And they share that it's one basic economic unit. Now, in that setting, uh, things things are going to fall apart. Uh, it's a great thing when a family stays together, but this one is breaking up. Already, it's pretty incestuous by our standards. Uh, before the flood, people married their sisters. Abraham marries his half-sister. Uh, his brother marries his niece. It won't be long before that's no longer possible because we are the age span is breaking down. Noah's going to be 175. They're ageing at half our rate. By the time you get to Moses, we're getting down to a normal rate. Uh, so here we are. Or actually, by the time we get down to Jacob and Joseph, we're getting to a normal rate. So this is a difficult life. And they're making it up as they go along. There's no mention of Terah's family even remembering who the Lord is. All right, so God then comes along and calls Abram out to go to a new land and makes a whole bunch of promises to him. What what exactly is God doing with Abram here, or Abraham? Uh, I guess he's going to have his name changed later. What, what's going on? Okay, so God is, in a sense, he's taking... He took Noah and he put him in a box to separate him from all the troubles of the world. Now he's going to take Abraham out of society. For the rest of Genesis, we're going to see God taking the line of promise out from under the rule of the snake, out from under the offspring of the snake. They're going to live as an independent, homeless household, wandering around, 
waiting for God to bring them back to something like Eden. So this this allows God to take a family out and retrain them, not to live under the culture of of Satan, not to live under the culture of a sinful, rebellious enemy culture, but to start to get to know God, to know how he works, to understand his plan of salvation, to develop a life that is redeemed independently of the culture and the lifestyle that's forming in all the communities all around them. Uh, so that that's the, that's the point of what God is about to do by getting them to leave their country. All right, well, God's also going to choose Abram and Sarah to be the family in which the line of promise, you know, the offspring that was promised to Eve, you know, it's waiting for the seed, it's going to come through his line. So why does God pick a man whose wife can't actually have any kids? Yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? We don't understand this this early in Genesis, I guess. But if you remember back in Genesis 3.15, it's the offspring of the woman who is going to defeat Satan and bring people back onto God's side. Uh, He is the redeemer. But he's the child of the woman, no mention of the man. And that's because we're talking about a new humanity. A man who is the biological son of another man is simply going to inherit all of the damage of Adam's sin. He'll be born a sinner. He'll be born with all the damage that sin has inflicted upon our flesh, our minds, our relationships, everything else. So we're looking for a man who is going to be a new humanity. So God took the woman out of the flesh of the man to make a man and a woman. He's now going to take the new man out of the flesh of the woman and create a new humanity. So there's going to be no biological father. Well, for a woman who is a virgin to produce a child without sex, that's going to be an impossible, a ridiculously impossible, miraculous birth and conception. And that's what we have in Jesus. Now, for people to understand how that's going to work, God is going to demonstrate that he is going to produce the miracle boy. And the miracle boy is going to be the birth that could never happen. So we're going to find a string of women who are demonstrably unable to have children. This will go for Isaac's wife, Rebecca. It'll happen to Jacob's wife, Rachel. And it's going to happen to other women down the track that God is going to produce this, this, the significant person to bring us closer to salvation as a miracle birth. So Sarah's just the ideal classic, isn't she? You've got a lady who, remember, they're ageing at half the rate we do. So at 65, she looks like a 30-year-old. At 80, Abraham's life is at risk because she's so hot that any king in the area is going to dong him on the head to get his wife. Remember, these are the men who just look, see it's beautiful and grab it. No buy, you'll leave, no nothing. So he's very much in this world of sons of God, who take whatever women they like and kill any man that gets in the way. At 80, Sarah is that good-looking. She's like a 40-year-old movie star. She's been married for 65 years, and she still hasn't got pregnant. Now, let's just prove that she's the problem's her, not Abraham. Pharaoh's going to take her into his harem. He's going to have sex with her, and she's still not going to get pregnant. 
and then God's going to pull her out of there and give her back to Abraham and give us a little demonstration of what he's going to do to Pharaoh later on with Moses. Then he waits till she hits menopause, and that's when God turns up and says, okay, next year you're having the son. So he's, he's teaching us through Sarah's barrenness that he is the God who will bring the miracle baby that we could never produce by ourselves. The Saviour is going to come by an act of God, not a natural act of the husband. And you can read about that again in John 1. All right, now there's also a lot of horrible things that happen you know, in Abraham's life. How is God teaching us how to live a life redeemed through all these events? We're effectively watching a man learning faith. So he starts out, Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. That's a good start. But now, we've, like we're doing here in this series, learning to live a life that's redeemed starts when we're redeemed, when God declares us righteous because we put our trust in him. But then we've got to learn to ride the bicycle. We've got to learn to get life back and not get sucked into all the stupidity that the world's into. Now, poor old Abraham is a bit of a slow learner. And we're going to watch what happens when you fall off the bike and when you get back on the bike and how God won't let you go, no matter what happens. He's training not just Abraham, but he's training us to trust God and not try and rescue it and do it all ourselves. So, you know, Abraham, can't, Sarah can't have kids. She comes up with a way to make it happen without God having to do anything. So she gives her slave girl over to her husband. That'll produce a child that will be an heir of Abraham's family, but it's not the child God promised. It's not the miracle baby. So that that's not going to work. Abraham's scared that somebody's going to kill him. So he prostitutes his wife. That's an incredibly destructive thing to do. He does it twice. And yet God brings him back and we walk it through again, get back on the bike, try again. And eventually God tests his faith when he calls on him to kill his son. Yeah, now I, I can't even imagine, you know, I've got a seven-year-old son, I can't imagine being asked to do that, let alone actually following through on it. Uh, you know, what, what's, what is Abraham thinking when God tells him to take the promise start even, and go and sacrifice him. It's interesting, isn't it? The Bible doesn't give us the slightest clue as to what Abraham was thinking. But we've come to a point where God says to Abraham, jump, and Abraham says nothing, he just jumps. There's almost, a, we've reached a point of faith where I don't have to know, I don't have to understand, I'll just do whatever you say because you've proven yourself you know, this is the way a life redeemed is lived. We do what you say, and it doesn't make sense to me, and it isn't what I would have chosen to do, and it's not the way I would have done it. But, hey, you're God, and I've got it wrong so many times. I have no idea what you're doing. I'll just go with you. So we have no idea what he was thinking. It's an unimaginable request, and it contradicts. It, it, it just sets up, you know, if you kill Isaac... What happens to the promise of the promised line through Isaac? It's dead. And Abraham says, I don't get it. You do. That's enough for me. We'll go and do it. That would be horrendous. It's it's almost the ultimate test of faith, isn't it? Mm, definitely. 
So, yeah, there we are. We're up there. We've got the knife. We're ready to go. I'm not so much interested in what went through Abraham's head. I often wonder what went through Isaac's. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's not a seven-year-old. This is a... My guess he's about 16. He's quite willing. Carries all the wood up, <laughs> lies on top of the wood. Yeah, whatever you say, Dad. You know, yeah, you're tying my feet up. That's good. Yeah, here's my wrists. Um, what's with the knife? <laughs> I mean, what's happening there for this kid? In our world, he'd be seeing a counsellor for the rest of his life after this. But it seems to be one of those experiences he'll carry with him at the point where he was going to die... God intervened and put a substitute in his place. And in that sense, we're the Isaac on the altar. We're the one deserving to... This is, this is like a... I don't know, like we do demonstration examples or exemplars in a science lab and you show kids how something works. This is, you know, this is a demonstration of how Jesus will save us. Well, it's definitely a very intense training course for Abraham and for Sarah as well. Uh, kind of makes you wonder how Isaac is going to come out of it. Well, of course, you know, next week when we come back to you know the, our next episode, or we episode eight next week, we'll be looking at God's plan and how it continues to process through or progress through uh, the next stage with Isaac and his sons uh, Jacob and Esau. But of course, if you want to come and grab the full study for this episode, come on over to trainingforliferedeemed.com slash seven you can get the show notes you can get the study there and of course you can leave a comment contact us uh we'd love to hear from you 